And today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving the instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I got married in the fall of 2004, and my parents came down to visit uh, Allison and I where we were living and working in Florida and uh, stay, for, stay for a week. You know, your kid's living in Florida. It's not the worst place in the world to, to come and visit. Um, so that was fall of 2004. Uh, obviously, we didn't know it, but my father was going to pass very suddenly um, in the spring of 2005. And so I didn't know it at the time, but that visit was going to be uh, the last time that we saw each other and the last time that we spent um, extended time in one another's presence. And I think about that for some reason, not for some reason, for reasons that are fairly obvious, quite often. And, um, and you know, I'd spoken to my dad hundreds of times in those, those years leading up to, 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 that, to that situation. But I have searing memories from that visit because something happens when you look back on uh, an event in your life and you realize that a massive change was on the horizon that you didn't see or that a relationship was about to change in such a significant way. And it makes the last moments of a relationship sort of really weighty and really, ma- uh, really matter. And it's not all like profound. Like we had a huge fight in a Cracker Barrel um, about me riding a motorcycle. My dad was like, you're going to die on the motorcycle. And I was like, you're going to die from chain smoking and fast food. And I was right. Um, so, sorry, that was too dark, guys. Uh, um, but he was like, riding a motorcycle is not safe. And I was like, yes, okay. And we had this huge, like, family argument. Like, we're supposed to be having, you know, some comfort food together, and we're, we're in a massive argument. He took me. Um, another thing I remember from that week together, he, he made time to especially take me to an AA meeting. Um, he... Uh, would die, uh, you know, with, with at least his 30-day chip from, from AA, and he'd begun in the program, and uh, it sort of had come to light uh, as an inrush to our family. I didn't know that he had wrestled with this, uh, this issue so strongly, but he took me to an AA meeting. I'll never forget, he stands up. It was a time for him to share, and he stood up, and it, with tears in his eyes, um, he was just sharing about how he didn't want to slip back to this former place of, of being trapped in, indul- in indulgence because of me. And he's like sitting there referencing me. And like my dad like might struggle to get emotional uh, just one-on-one. But in that space, he was, he was really feeling his feelings. And it was so meaningful to me to hear him, to hear him share that. He was reading this massive book, this Puritan uh, theological tome called The Christian in Complete Armor at the time because he was in this super uh, spiritual awakening. Um, he was, he was, he was, um, his life was changing. And I'll never forget, he just pulls out, and we had never done anything like this. He pulls out this book. He's showing me all the places he'd highlighted in this massive, massive book. And uh, all those things that we talked about those, that last week, not knowing that it was our last week together, are tremendously 
important to me now. Sometimes I ask myself the question, if, if I knew that this was the last time we were going to be together, would I have wanted to talk about something different? And I, I look back over it and like the funny, funny moments and the absurd moments and the, you know, the poignant moments, I don't think so. I think we covered the ground we needed to cover. I might have said, I love you a few more times or tried to, you know, to just give him a hug a few more times, but I think that we covered the ground that we needed to cover, and I truly consider that a gift from God. I, I mention that because uh, the, the, the text that we just read mentions Jesus with his closest friends the last time he's going to be with them. And I think about every time I hear that, that phrase that he was with them and what he spoke with them about, I think about my last week with my father. I think about how the last words that I was with this person that I loved, they weigh so much. They mean so, so much to me. And um, whether or not my dad and I might have chosen something differently, I know that Jesus knew very specifically the limitations that were on his time with his friends and followers and disciples. And I'm really certain that he chose very specifically, very carefully what he wanted to cover with them. So the beginning of the second book, Luke the physician writes two books in the New Testament, the gospel according to Luke, and then the follow-up to that is the Acts of the apostles is how we, oft, we often call it, we, you know, Acts for short. But ultimately, this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit poured out, birthing the church. Um, we're headed towards Pentecost in about 40 days or so. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit a lot. But um, the Acts of the Apostles are actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And, and, and so it's continuing the story. If you're not familiar very much with the structure of the New Testament, it's continuing the story of Jesus' life in those four, first four accounts and then how the church grew and, and filled these cities of the Roman Empire, eventually filled the entire world. And, and it's... It, it, Crucial details about what Jesus did with that little 40-day window from his resurrection to his ascension. And it says in in verse 3, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. (laughs) It sort of always strikes me a little bit funny. Like if you're standing there in front of them alive, like what sort of convincing proofs do you need to do exactly? Like I also juggle. Um, uh, Probably not. That's not theologically right. Okay, so we'll keep going. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Spoke to them about the kingdom of God, knowing the time that he had, knowing that he was going to be leaving them, knowing that they were going to be commissioned to carry this movement, this shared mission of love forward. He's got a limited time with him. What is he going to speak with them about? And it says he spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God. We know some other specific examples. Jesus did some personal restoration. He goes to to someone like Peter who had had flatly denied him in this crucible moment. He he goes to his friends, and we're going to talk about them in just a little bit, who are leaving town in disillusionment and disappointment. So he does some personal restoration. He goes to Thomas, who who wasn't with the the other followers of Jesus when when he first appeared to them. And he's like, I'm I'm really struggling with this. I die unless I put my hands in his wounds. And he he gives him that gift. He goes to Thomas. we know Jesus did personal uh, restoration. We know that he helped his friends and family overcome lingering doubts and fears. We know that he gave them specific instructions. But the largest heading that Christ spent this crucial 40-day window talking about is the kingdom 
of God. And I think that you can see him connecting the dots, especially when you get to someone like Peter, who was a fisherman and not a trained rabbi. When he gets up to speak, full of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he goes all the way back through the scriptures, from Israel's golden age with, with, with King David to the prophet Joel. Like he, he strings a sort of a narrative together that connects all the dots, full of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that Jesus was showing them that across the whole span the whole arc of what God had been doing in redeeming the world, that the kingdom of God had been front and center as as the theme. This is what God has been doing since the very beginning. I know we we don't even have to guess about that. We know that this is what he talked about. I was saying one of the powerful stories uh, uh, that takes place after the resurrection is Jesus goes and finds these friends who are leaving town, who are disillusioned, who are disappointed, and he, he, he sort of walks, it's, it's kind of amusing, he walks alongside them, doesn't tell them who he is, listens for a little while about what they're talking about, and then he starts in sort of sharing with them something that they, they need to know. This story is often just called the, the road to Emmaus. And I want to give you a, a, a little glimpse at what happens. This isn't the whole story, but um, it's a crucial part of it. Listen, this is Jesus in his crucial 40-day window before the ascension. He said, he said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer the, these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if, as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we ta- while, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Can you imagine this moment? They've been walking with this rabbi, this uh, peasant man from Galilee, like whatever you thought when you first heard about him, oh, he healed someone, oh, he was teaching about the kingdom in a way that we'd never heard, and and how much had they risked to follow him? Like, uh, how much had they given up from their their families, from their vocations, from their their life, from their status and community to follow him, and now they've just seen him die, (laughs) this horrific, shameful death that was... 100% 100% meant to stamp out any thought of rebellion. Rome was like, if you think that you're gonna come against us in any way, here's the cross. This is what we do to those who oppose us. And so the movement is over. Like whatever you thought, whatever how high your idealism was. And some of you know what this experience is like. You've had experiences with God or you've entertained hope um, about what God could be like in the world or you've, you, you, you've had a faith of some sort and then there comes a point where you're just like, this isn't working anymore. This is over. I'm out. And, and that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're leaving town. But what Jesus, I love that Jesus, like, eventually, in, in, and it's really profound when they recognize him, I think, that it's right in the middle of the breaking of bread, like, in the meal that he had given his, his followers to remember him by. He, he shows his face. But I think it's really profound that Jesus doesn't just, like, grab him by the shoulder, spin him around, like, it's me! Because they had had meaningful, powerful encounters with the person of Jesus. They had seen him do miracles. Like, and so instead of just giving them an experience, and many of you have had experiences where like, is this the presence of God? Is this an energy of some sort? Um, is that a strange sound that everyone's looking at? Um, 
They had had encounters with this Jesus, but what he does is he goes back with them. He takes the time during this walk to go back and, and string together the whole picture. So listen, they're going to know that what they're, they're being invited into transcends their generation. It transcends the mood that they happen to be in. It transcends the feeling of disappointment or disillusionment that they're in the middle of. What he's doing is he's broadening their understanding of how the kingdom of God has been breaking into the world and how he has come as Messiah to bring that kingdom to bear on the, on the world and invite them to fully participate in it. So he doesn't just grab them by the shoulders and be like, hey guys, it's me. It says that he goes all the way back. I want you to notice just three things really quickly from, from, from what we just read. The first is he uses the word, word Messiah. We often just think about that in terms of like someone who's going to be sent as a rescuer or a redeemer. The word Messiah was what Israel used for the king. The king is coming. It means literally the anointed one. The one God has, has anointed to be, to be king. King of what? King of the kingdom, right? We, we've said this many times. How do you understand the kingdom of God? inside of the kingdom of the world or other rival kingdoms. Well, the kingdom of God is the place where, where God's will is, 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 be, is being done with, with agreement. It's, uh, Dallas Willard called it the range of God's effective will. Like where, where the places where what God wants to happen is happening, you can say the kingdom of God is breaking in into that place. And the king of that kingdom is this Messiah. Did you not know, he says to them, that the Messiah, the anointed one, was going to have to suffer he was going to have to face the rival kingdoms of this world in order to bring the kingdom of God to bear. And then it says, uh, he, he, goes, he, goes, he goes further, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So there was something about this Messiah, anointed one, the king, that had been present in Moses and all the prophets. The whole thing was leading up to this. And this is really important for how transcendent this story is, how transcendent this kingdom is, and them understanding their invitation into it is not just for their, for, for, for their moment. This is one of the things people couldn't get their head around with Jesus. He's, he heals someone or feeds someone or do something, and they're like, you should be the king. We need a king who can heal people and feed people and win victories. And he's like, I'm doing something that transcends just this moment. I'm not just winning a military victory over your current uh, enemies. I'm here to bring a, a, a revolution to the world. So beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he told them, he connects the dots about what God had been doing since the beginning. And the last thing I want you to notice is their reaction. Once he takes off, very mysteriously, by the way, he says, were our hearts not burning when he spoke with us? Were our hearts not burning? Some of you know what this experience is like as well. You're like, Something you're saying or something I'm hearing in this song or something I'm experiencing is, is making my heart burn. It is making me come alive at the deepest level of who, who I am. There's something tremendously powerful, something deeply resonant within us when we begin to connect the different strands of our life or the substance of our hope into a coherent whole. When, when the strands of our life begin to be pulled together and we realize like, oh, I'm in the middle of an arc of, of history and, and here's how I can participate in this. And this is like, I, I, have, I have meaning and I, a sense of identity and a sense of purpose, but also a sense of freedom to go, like that is human flourishing. That is like, the, the glor if the glory of God is a human heart fully alive, at least one example of it, is that he, he made us to be full participants. And, and when these strands begin to come together and you begin to see, oh my gosh, I'm right in the heart of it. And, and does my heart not burn? <laughs> our kind of our spirits cry yes to that. I want that to be true. What if that were true? If that were true, it would change everything. Is that true? Oh my 
That is true. I said last, last week at Easter that Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God in the beginning, in the middle, and the end of his ministry, all through. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, he starts right from the beginning. He shows up and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Essentially like, hey, something's breaking into the world in a new way. It is the will of God being accomplished. It is bringing about redemption. It is fitting that you reorient your entire life around this coming reality. Change everything because this is happening. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Then he teaches in detail what the kingdom looks like. In the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom is like this. Here's what a blessed life looks like. Here's the way the kingdom looks in marriage. Here's the way the kingdom looks in vocation. Here's the way the kingdom looks in reconciliation between people who are at odds. And then he gives all these parables. The kingdom is like stumbling across a treasure in a field. The kingdom is like two lost sons returning home to their father. All these things. He teaches in detail what the kingdom looks like. He teaches his disciples to pray for it, right? Where they're so amazed at, at different aspects of Jesus' life, but the thing they ask him to teach us is teach us to pray. And when right in the heart of the prayer that Jesus gives his disciples to pray is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, teaches in detail. He teaches them to ask for it in prayer, but then he demonstrates it, right? We, we, we've mentioned this so much, but the lame walked when Jesus asked them to. The kingdom of God, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? At least one thing it looks like is someone that is laying there, utterly unable to move, gets up and walks and carries their mat away. The deaf heard. People were forgiven. The oppressed were set free. Demons were cast out. Storms were stopped. The dead were raised. And these friends who were leaving town had seen that. They had heard that, and yet they were still walking away frustrated and disappointed. I talk with friends sometimes, and they're like, if I just saw a miracle, like, one time, that'd be it. I'd be on, I'd be on board. Like, I just need, like, like, I hear, like, someone's praying for someone, the tumor just shrinks right under their hands. Like, if that's, if something, a limb grows back, like, if anything like that happened to me ever, that's it. I'm in, no more doubts, 100%. But the thing is, the testimony of uh, like the psychological nature of our experience is that it doesn't seem like phenomenon alone is enough to sustain faithful love over time. That you can experience, and why wouldn't we ask for any of these things that are ex- examples of demonstrations of the kingdom, but, but something else is in the heart of our relationships that keeps us going. They're leaving town, frustrated and disappointed. So Jesus finds them, and what he does is he takes them all the way back to the beginning. He says, I want you to see the narrative arc across the scriptures. This is not just what God is up to right now in this moment. This is what God has always been up to. Derek Morphew, uh, a theologian from South Africa, has a tremendously helpful book on this, on the kingdom. It is called Breakthrough. It, It highlights what I think Jesus was probably talking with them about on the road to Emmaus. The text says that from Moses and the prophets, he begins showing them all that the scriptures had to say about himself. So uh, we wanna look at those, I just want you to look really quickly at those two sort of categories, Moses and then the prophets, to see that God has been, been up to this from the beginning. Moses has, this is just personal sort of side note from the sermon, but I'm gonna still use my time. This does count. Um, Moses has been coming up, coming up in my prayer time a lot recently. Like every time I, I start to think about my life, I, I'm not that I'm like <laughs> Moses category by any means, but an aspect of his story has been really gripping me. Moses, when he was a young man, 
He, ra- he was raised in Pharaoh's house. And you know the story. He, you've seen Prince of Egypt. He comes out and he sees that an, an Egyptian is beating up one of his Hebrew, Hebrew brothers. And what happens? Moses has a sense of vocation right in that moment. And it is raging within him. He's like, I am a liberator. This should not be. And he goes out in the full enthusiasm of of youth and aggression, and he acts as a liberator, which is what he really is, but he acts in a way that's totally out of his own strength, totally out of his best idea. So Moses acts as a liberator and strikes down the Egyptian. And because of that, he has to flee. And he flees out of the, the vocation of liberator and into the vocation of shepherd. He goes into Midian and he works in his father-in-law's ranch for 40 years. For 40 years, he works as a shepherd. He's, he's going along. He's learning the, 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 the nature of livestock and how to care for them and, and all sorts of different situations. But after, I mean, like, I've been in my vocation for, for about 20 years. And I'm, I'm so glad that I have some, tool, some, some tools and resources. Can you imagine if you just kept sheep for 40 years? You're sort of like, this is it. Like, something might happen today, but this is my life. And some of you know this. You've had that feeling of sort of it's a sinking feeling. It's like, well, this is the choice I've made. This is the vocation track that I'm in. I don't know how to really change it. And it's not that great. Like I'm doing it, and, but I don't love it. And so Moses had these two streams. He had, you know, liberator expressed in aggression and viciousness and murder. And then he had another aspect. He's going to be a shepherd, but he's sort of shepherding in a way that is a couple of notches different than what he's eventually going to be. And then something happens. God, had, uh, God encounters Moses in such a way that he has an encounter with a burning bush. He meets the God Yahweh. And, and this liberator vocation and this shepherd vocation come merged together through the fire of that bush in Moses' life. And he becomes liberating shepherd. And he goes into, into, into his former home and, and, and is used by God to liberate his people. And then he's a shepherd of this massive group of people that still give him tons of headaches. Like the sheep must have, but in a, in a very different way. And I just, I've been saying, God... I know the passion of my youth and some of my idealism and some of my going about it by my own strength. I know what it is to be a shepherd in some way, but I wonder if, if there's not some way that I haven't fully experienced all that you have for me. Would you give me like a, all I'm asking for, God, small request, just a burning bush that's not consumed that fuses together my two callings into one and lets me live out the rest of my days in meaning and purpose? <laughs> Can I get an amen? Thank you. From liberator and shepherd, each in a secondary way, to liberating shepherd through what? Through an encounter with Yahweh, through an experience of God's presence. And I think Jesus, walking with his friends, is saying, from Moses and the prophets, let me show you the whole story. I think Moses' life in the Exodus is a paradigm for the type of redemption that God is bringing in the world, and the story repeats itself. And so many times, what you see God doing in physical form with Israel in the Old Covenant, he's doing with us in a spiritual way through the, through the redemption that Jesus has brought. So I just want to put something on the screen that, that may be helpful for, for seeing this. You had this in Moses' life. You had this in the Exodus. First, you have a revelation of the divine name. Then there, it leads into spiritual conflict and then physical deliverance and then passing through the sea to freedom. And then there's a new confession and a new expression of the kingdom of God. And, and I, I want to talk about each of these for just a second, right? I just went into the revelation of the divine name. This burning bush speaks to Moses and his shepherd brain must have been freaking out. And he's like, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not the one. I'm not that good at speaking and talking. And, and, and God's like, can you stop? I'm a burning bush. I'll help you out. Like, I'll send your cousin with you. You're going to be fine. And he's like, All right, well, who should I say is sending me? 
And God says, I am. I am. And like the translation is so, so powerful, like the, the Hebrews wouldn't even say it. They, they would barely write it, right? And so you lose the vowels over time. But this, this I am is always present. Like in all the different what ifs that Moses throws out, God says, I am. You've got your what ifs and I am. Like I am. I will be there. I will provide. I will do it. I will be with you. I'm not saying end up here somewhere. He's saying, I'm going to walk with you all along the way. So Moses has this powerful revelation of the divine name which leads him into a spiritual conflict. If you look at the plagues of the Exodus story, every single one of them is a direct confrontation with one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped in, 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 their, in their kingdom. Each of the gods, the, 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 the Nile was the residence, the residence of this, this Egyptian god, Hapi. And when that god dies, the Nile turns to blood. So God directly confronts Hapi. A- Apis, Isis, and Ammon are, the, are gods of the livestock. And you can just have a, have a look at what happens to the livestock in the, in, in the plagues. Um, the sun god of Egypt, Ra, one of the plagues is what? Darkness. The sun is blotted out. Literally, in the most tangible, object lesson kind of way, Yahweh comes in to the host of spiritual forces in Egypt and says, let me show you one at a time that I am over any rival kingdom in the world, and that even though you have used this mythology to keep people enslaved, I am going to show you the truth of my power to set people free, to establish um, you as who you're truly meant. So there's spiritual conflict, but that obviously then leads really importantly into physical deliverance. Let my people go, and the people are eventually let go. And then they pass through the waters. They pass through the Red Sea. We, we pass through the waters into a, into, a, into a new life. This is a paradigm for the type of redemption that God's bringing. And then when you get out, when they get free and there's distance between them and the slavery that they were a part of, God has to reform them out of a culture of slavery into a, into a new culture to be his people. And that begins with Miriam's song. Go back and read it in the Exodus. Miriam's song is a new type of confession of the kingdom of God breaking into the world. He is our anointed one. He is our rescuer. He is our king. And then you have the Sinai covenant, basically the ratification and establishment of this new nation with God as its king, the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven in a way that had never happened before. You will see those exact realities (laughs) in the life of Jesus. Think about how he gets named. Think about the beginning of his life, how they have to, how, how they have to flee. You will see this, this paradigm take place when the story's long enough and Jesus is dealing with someone, almost always, it's, it's th- these things begin to show up. Like Mark 5 is a fantastic example. This guy, he comes into a new uh, uh, area of, 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 of ministry and this guy who's tormented um, by, by possession comes out in Mark 5 and, and Jesus casts him out and, and each of these things ha- happen. <laughs> Um, over and over again, this is the pattern. The kingdom of God emerging into the rival kingdoms of the world to make a new place for people to live and join in God's kingdom. So that's from Moses to the prophets. <laughs> the prophets, even, even by the time that Israel's sort of uh, you know, monarchy with God at the head or, or even ruling through the glory days of David or uh, Solomon until he sort of you know, goes off the rails, um, the prophets are holding out. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Isaiah is Israel's most prolific and poetic prophet, if, if you want to say that. You, know, you, could, you could rank them in different ways, but I'm going to say that I think uh, he's the most prolific and poetic of the prophets. And if you track the signs of the kingdom of God in Isaiah, 
you get a tremendously beautiful list. So we're not going to go through every prophet, but right here are the signs of the kingdom in the book of Isaiah. It says that there's, when the kingdom of God is coming, people experience salvation and deliverance. What, what, is, what does that mean? They, expect, they experience freedom and new life in the way it was always intended to be lived. They experience righteousness and, and justice. They, their heart and character becomes aligned with the heart and character of, of, of God in a new way. They experience the fullness and, and goodness of what that means. There's, there's fairness. There's justice done. There is peace. And this is not just absence of conflict. This is the Hebrew concept of shalom and well-being across all arenas of life. There is joy, right? This resulting emotion that wells up in us when we are pursuing what is good and true and right. Like something beyond temporal happiness, like a flood of joy. There is God's presence, right? This is about being united as sons and daughters with, with, the, God, with, with, with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is also saying to us, you can call me Abba, Father, to be near and loved by a transcendent God, healing, to be made well physically, emotionally, spiritually across every arena of your life, as a society even, a return from exile. Some of you have felt like you don't have a home. When the kingdom of God comes, it is like coming home. These are the signs of the kingdom of God. Like, what is it? What's the kingdom of God? Dallas Willard says it's the range of God's effective will. Well, what types of things happen when God's will is being done? This. This is a picture, an example of the kingdom of God at work. I think a lot of you are on board with this. Some of you might feel like, oh, this is sort of the fantasy utopian nonsense that people of faith are always kind of talking about. It makes it easy to dismiss when you look at what life is really about. But my guess is that when you talk to someone, if you really get to know them, when they start to share the deep longings of their heart, many of them are connected right back to this reality. I want to be free. I want to live a life that's full of meaning and purpose. I, 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 I want there to be goodness and fairness and justice done in the world. I want to know joy. I need to be healed. I want God's presence. Even if I can't even name it, I want a connection to a transcendent reality that loves, that loves me. Now, when Jesus comes to sketch out what he's going to do in the world at the very beginning of his ministry, you know where he goes? Isaiah. Luke 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of the synagogue were fastened on him. This is one of my favorite moments in Jesus' life. He began by saying, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know what kind of mics they had, but he just dropped it. He He drops the mic right there. Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today the signs of the kingdom that you've heard whisper and rumor about. Today the things that you're longing for in the depth of your being as a, as a human these things are, are being brought forward into reality in a, in, a, in a new way. This is being fulfilled in your he- hearing. Make no mistake, this is what Jesus was up to, bringing about the paradigm of the kingdom of God that God had always been intending to bring, but in a new full way as what? As Messiah, as the anointed one, as the king of a kingdom. And you are invited in 
to that kingdom. His death, his death, his life, his resurrection was about bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven and bringing us in as sons and daughters to join in, to play a part. So that's the end. This is right, we're, we're back to where we started, the text we, we started with. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In a way, that's a little bit different from the way Israel experienced it in the Exodus where God's power was leading them forward, that very same power and presence of Yahweh. Because of what Jesus had done on the cross and the veil that was torn and separating the holy place of the temple, that very spirit is going to come crashing into your lives. And what is it going to create? The kingdom of God in you and then the kingdom of God in your sphere of relationships, and then the kingdom of God in your city, and then the kingdom of God in the world. Our mission as a church is joining God in the renewal of all things, and what it looks like is the signs of the kingdom coming. And what it looks like is not human beings just accomplishing it by our willpower, but through surrender to love, we declare the victory of Jesus in all the spheres and relationships and places God has put us in the world. So, We're gonna talk about the kingdom of God for the next 40 days because that's what Jesus did and I don't have a better sermon series than that. But what I wanna say this morning is where do we go from here? Jesus made it really simple. He's like, you want a list of priorities? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else you need will be added unto you. Now, I just wanna challenge you to see if God has integrity. Just give that a shot. Seek first the kingdom of God and see if along in that list of what the kingdom looks like when it comes, if all the rest of your needs are not met. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's like the same exact kingdom expression you get in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. It's like, it's like there's some, they're working together here across the whole arc of the scripture. So, so what do we do? What do we do today? to seek God's face. This is the the invitation I want to extend to your heart. Some of you, you know God. You sing, Lord. You worship, you pray, you attend church, you've heard sermons. But some of you need to hear God's name in a new way. Some of you, you need to hear over the what ifs that are playing on repeat in your life that are beating you down and causing you anxiety. You need to hear him say, I am. Some of you who are waking up in, 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 in sadness and depression each, each morning, like, I just so, I want to hold you if you're dealing with that. I've, I've been there, the anxiety that can, that can crush us. I, I say no, no shame on you for that whatsoever, but maybe you need to know that he is the bright and morning star, that he is the God who causes the sun to rise, that he is the beginning and the end, and that he is on either side of your struggle in each direction. Your anxiety and depression, your, 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 your addiction to this or that thing, your struggle, it, it has a finite limitation, and God is on either side. Maybe you need to know him this morning as Alpha and Omega. Some of you need to hear God's name in a new way. You need to hear that he is speaking to you, and he is life, and even in the revelation of his name is a revelation of his character. He is I am over your what if. Some of you need freedom, 
And some of you need freedom from things that is, it's like you're living every day as a slave in Egypt and the force that it would take to get you out is absolutely impossible. That's how overrun you are by this pattern of thinking or pattern of behavior or pattern of life or burden that you're carrying. And some of you need freedom in a new way because the kingdom is crashing in, if you can believe it, to this middle school. In Brooklyn in 2019, even this morning, freedom from places you've been trapped where it seems impossible. And then some of you, you need to make a new kingdom confession. You've got a Miriam-type song that's in your life, and it needs to come out, where you need to say, God has rescued me. God has redeemed me. God has set me on this path. God has, has, has been directing me. And you need to make a new kingdom confession and commitment. You say, since God has been I am to me, since he has delivered me, since he has confronted these rivals and proven himself true, there's a new way my life needs to go. And maybe it's a, just a season of worship, over this 40 days, maybe you fasted in Lent and you need to bring, begin each day in joy and praise over this next 40 days. So some of you, maybe it's like, I need to see how my everyday work is actually not just partially over here as liberator or partially over here as shepherd, but I need them fused together into a new kingdom confession and commitment that I am liberating shepherd. I am these things that I've always been in part now in whole because God's kingdom is breaking in. I know God in a new way. Some of you need to hear God's name. Some of you need freedom. And some of you need new confession and commitment to walk in the way of Jesus. And I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower that in your life. You ready? Let's pray. God, I I thank you that we're going to celebrate Pentecost in a couple of weeks, but the Holy Spirit is here right now. Because we, we're remembering that moment, but we are living on the other side of it. Your spirit is here, is present right now. And I pray, come Holy Spirit, speak the name of God over this church. May we know that you are Jesus, the Redeemer. May we know that you are Messiah, set apart, anointed one. May we know that you are Yahweh, that you are I am, that you are Elohim, the Lord, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the provider, that you are the healer. In whatever way we need to hear your name this morning, would you speak it over us by the power of your spirit, God, break off the false visions of life that we have lived under, the false banners, the false names, and may your name be lifted higher than any of those names, I pray in Jesus' name. And for those who need freedom, I pray you would, would break in, God, freedom from thought patterns or freedom from behavior or freedom from just like malaise or despair or apathy, God. Would you call us even where it seems impossible to freedom? And for those, God, in the name of Jesus, who need a new sort of orientation to their life and need to confess that you are who you say you are, they need to confess they're going to live in light of that. I pray you would unleash kingdom confession, new Miriam songs, songs of life in your kingdom. Pray these things in the matchless, victorious name of Jesus. Amen.